Hey everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Arielle. And I'm Amanda. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. us. We can't wait to share the details of this wild episode with you. Welcome back, listeners, and happy Wednesday. Hey, guys. So today's episode is titled Infamous Killer, Mm -hmm. which leads us to discuss the extremely disturbing murder of John Price. Is this our first infamous? I think so. Um, I mean, Lee. No, he was, well, he was serial killer, so. But I mean, like, I think this is the first one that we've called. Yes, 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 yes. So, this case was submitted to us by my good friend, Victoria B., from New Orleans. I also consider her to be an honorary homegirl. Victoria and I used to work together, and I believe I got her hooked on the World of True Crime podcasts. Um, She has been harassing me about covering this case, so here you go, Vic. And before we get started, I wanted to issue a trigger warning. The details of this murder are horrifying and graphic, and if hearing about this kind of case disturbed or upsets you, our recommendation would be to turn this episode off. You know it's bad when we give a trigger warning. It's it's really bad. Okay. All right. Let's go. Jumping right in. Uh, Catherine Mary Knight was born on October 24th, 1955, and she was from the, the town of Aberdeen, which is in New South Wales, Australia. Okay. First Australian case. Yeah. Catherine's mother, Barbara, was married to Jack Ruffin, I think it is. Okay. And um, so Jack had a co-worker named Ken Knight. Mm Mm-hmm. And both the Ruffin and the Knights were very well known in a small conservative conservative town. Mm -hmm. And Barbara ended up having a scandalous affair with Ken Knight. You know, when you said he had a co-worker by the name of Ken Knight, I know that's her. Yeah. Yeah. So Catherine was the younger twin born to Barbara and Ken. So not only was it an affair, but it resulted in twins. (laughs) Wait. Ariel's face. Wait. She got pregnant, like, during the affair? Yes. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, that's one way to get caught. Yeah. So Catherine's father, Ken, was an alcoholic, and he often blatantly used violence and intimidation to rape their mother up to ten times a day. Excuse me, what? Yeah, we're And di- that's what she left her husband for? And we're diving right Yikes. in here. So according to some of my link sources, quote, Barbara often told her daughters intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated sex and men. Later, when Knight complained to her mother that one of her partners wanted her to take part in a sex act she didn't want to do. Barbara told her to, or quote unquote, put up with it and stop complaining, end quote. I wish we videoed ourselves because yeah. my face. <laughs> she got a stank look, y'all. Huh. So Catherine professes she was frequently sexually abused by several members of her family until the age of 11. And the abuse was verified by her family members. Now, I did read somewhere that it wasn't her dad. Her dad didn't never abuse her. But still. But he raped the mom. So, I mean. Y'all, we just went, like. Zero to, like, 1,000. In, like, 2.8 seconds. Catherine was described as a delightful girl who, quote, experienced uncontrollably murderous rages in response to minor upsets, end quote. This blows my mind, y'all. Yikes. So she attended... I mean, mm. Yeah. 
She attended Muswellbrook High School, where she eventually became a loner, and her classmates recall her being a bully who stood over small children. Like to intimidate? Yes. Well, I mean, if her dad was intimidating. Yeah. So, in school, she assaulted at least one boy with a weapon. (laughs) What kind of weapon? Do we know? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. There was an event. There was even an incident where Catherine was injured by a teacher who was acting in self-defense. Yikes. When Catherine wasn't acting like a complete raging lunatic, she was an ideal student, was often praised for her good behavior. That sounds bipolar to me. I guess, on an extreme level. I'm not a medical doctor, so I should stop (laughs) making assumptions like that. So Catherine dropped out of school at the age of 15 without knowing how to read or write, Hmm. which... I feel like I'm not you sh- know that before. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure if, like, her behavior hindered her opportunity to learn, and she just went that long without knowing. But I'm also not sure how education works in Australia. But it can't be worse than Louisiana. <laughs> so once she dropped out, she got a job cutting clothing in a factory. About a year later, she left that job and found, quote, her dream job. Oh, God. Buckle on up. Oh, no. I was not prepared for this, but her dream job included cutting up awful at the local abattoir. What in the world is that? Okay, so yeah, like this case was pretty weird because like a lot of the words they use, we don't use. I had to really utilize my dictionary. Um, So according to Google, an awful is internal organs of an animal used as food, and an abattoir is a slaughterhouse. And that was her job. Yes. So, y'all, just take a second to think about this. That was her her dream job. If that doesn't explain to you how crazy she was, I don't know what will. Catherine was promoted in no time to the boning department, and she was given her own set of knives. She was so proud of her job, and she even kept her knives hung over her bed so they could, so that they, quote, would always be handy if she needed them, end quote. Did, 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 did you say over her bed? Yes. Like, I guess, like, over the, like, at the top, like, not, like, over, like, yeah, the ceiling. Yeah, up on the wall. Yeah, up on the wall. I mean, I have pictures of my <laughs> bed, like a normal person. Yeah. What? So now we're going to jump into, like, her Dude. history of partners. What? All right, it gets so much worse. Catherine met David Kellett in 1973, and they were married in 1974. Upon arriving at the wedding, Catherine's mother offered David some advice. Oh, Jesus. Who knows what she was going to say. Barbara told him, quote, you better watch this one or she'll effing kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're effed. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll effing kill you, end quote. Oh, and that's her mom? That's a nice little wedding gift. Right. I wonder if they wrote that on on a card. So Catherine's mother also told the groom-to-be that, quote, she's got a screw loose somewhere, end quote. But I'm going to, I'm not excusing her behavior, but given her childhood, and her mom contributed to that childhood about the whole sexual thing. Her mom seems pretty Looney Tunes, too. Yes, exactly. So... Pot, kettle, you know? Yeah. So on the night of their wedding, Catherine attempted to strangle David. Excuse me. Yes, I do. Let's... I mean, I know some people are into that, but it doesn't sound like it was consensual. 
Catherine had certain expectations of what a married couple should accomplish on their wedding night. And after only three times of having sexual intercourse, David fell asleep. Yes, only. How dare he? She wasn't satisfied, and she thought it should have been more, so she tried to strangle him. Like, can we get an annulment? Like, I'm about to literally set up my video camera to video my reactions. <laughs> Time lapse. Because <laughs> this is ridiculous. Their marriage was pretty volatile, and one night, Catherine, who was very pregnant, burned all of David's shoes and clothes before she struck him on the back of the head with a frying pan because he came home late from playing darts. So this crazy woman had kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, her poor children. Yeah. David, who was clearly scared for his life, fled the house and he collapsed at a neighbor's home. He ended up being treated for a skull fracture and Catherine weaseled her way out of criminal charges. Well, yeah, when she hit him with a frying pan. Like, she went Medea on him. She sure did. In May of 1976, right after the birth of their first child, Melissa, David left Catherine for another woman and moved away. I mean, I can't say I blame him. Not so fast. Oh, God. Shortly after David left her, Catherine was diagnosed with postpartum depression and spent several weeks recovering after being admitted to a hospital. Okay, that is no joke. I mean, postpartum is is bad. She Uh, was a lunatic before she was pregnant. She had prepartum depression. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I had it with my first, and it's not... It's, no, not, no, it's nothing to play with, so. This is where the story takes a drastic turn. The first of many. Or yeah. the second of many. Or yeah. the third of many, depending on your opinion. This story is. Yeah. So, yeah. after Catherine was released, released from the hospital, she placed her two-month-old baby on a railroad track just before the train was due to pass. She, Excuse me. Well, yeah. She then went into town with a stolen axe and threatened to kill several people. A man known very well in the area found baby Melissa on the railroad tracks and saved her from being killed. He saved her with minutes to spare, and Knight was arrested and again admitted to the hospital, allegedly recovered, and checked herself out the following day. So did she lose her kid, or did they give her the kid back? Yeah, she, she, yeah. (laughs) So a few days go by. Yeah, Yeah, she what? She lost the kids. No. They gave her the kid? Yeah, she still has the kids. Okay. So a few days go by, and Catherine, then she slashed the face of a woman with one of her knives. She then forces the woman to drive her to Queensland, which is where David, when he left, mo- mm-hmm. left her moved to. The woman was able to get away from Catherine when they stopped at a gas station. Police responded, but by the time they arrived on scene, Catherine had taken hostage of a little boy and was holding him at knife point. Okay, Looney Tunes is like <laughs> putting it nice. Yeah. Authorities successfully disarmed her and she was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. So the first time she was admitted wasn't a psych hospital. Just a normal. Yes. So while under evaluation, Catherine told the nursing staff that she planned on killing the service station mechanic because he was the one who fixed David's car, allowing him to leave her and leave town. Yikes. Catherine was planning to kill David and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. And after police advised David of like her plan, he left his girlfriend and he and his mother moved back to Aberdeen to support Catherine. Yes, that's why I said not so fast. 
more like enable. Yeah. So Catherine was released on August 9th of 1976 into the care of her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. and the two, along with David, relocated to Brisbane, where Catherine got a job at another meat factory. With their daughter? Yeah. Okay. On March 6, 1980, David and Catherine welcomed their first, their second daughter, Natasha. Four years later, Knight left David. <laughs> yeah. He came back just for her leaving? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. So that's guy number one. Okay. On to the next, David Saunders. So well, David. That's not even guy. That's David number one. Yes. And then you'll see the pattern again. So. What? Yeah. You'll see. In uh, in 1986, Catherine met David Saunders, and he was a 30-year-old miner. A what? Like a coal miner. 38, 38, yeah. A few months later, he moved in with Catherine and and her two daughters. However, he retained his apartment. He didn't get rid of it. Hmm. Catherine would become jealous and then kick him out. He would return to his apartment, and then she would inevitably beg him to come back and it was just a vicious cycle hmm. well she is a vicious cycle <laughs> she's a yeah she's something in may of 1987 Catherine slit the throat of david's two-month-old puppy to de- to demonstrate what she would do to him if he ever had an affair oh my god yeah did, did he not call like the cops or i don't anything? understand like you know how we always say, if we see something, say something? Like, they saw a million and one red flags. But maybe they were just scared. Like, you know, in domestic violence cases, a lot of people are scared to leave because yeah. it'll be worse. But, yeah. I mean, this is domestic violence. She's, right. you know. She's terrorizing yes. these men. So, June of 1988, Catherine gave birth to her third daughter, Sarah. With John. David Saunders. No, David. David. I don't know why I said so there's David Kellett, there's David Saunders. Okay. Two with the first David, one with the second David. Okay. After the birth of their daughter, Saunders bought a home for them, and Catherine decorated the home with animal skills, skins, and skulls all throughout. Like, when I tell you, like, there was, like, no empty space, not even on the ceiling. Hmm. So she and Saunders got into an argument, which resulted in Catherine hitting him in the face with an iron. An iron? And then stabbing him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Jesus. Like, she's just outrageous. Yes. So he ended up leaving, but when he returned, she had cut up all of his clothes. Of course she did. And Saunders eventually went into hiding, and Catherine tried her hardest to find him, but no one would tell her where he was. Well, thank goodness. Yeah, and so months went by, and Saunders returned to see his daughter, right. and like he discovered that Catherine went to the police and stated how she was fearful of him, and they issued Wait, what? A, yes, and they issued a protection order against him. Oh my god! Because you know most domestic cases are against women, right? So, so of course they're gonna think it was him, right? Like he was the. The aggressor. So, you know, she played the victim, and, of course. you know, they always believed her. Now we're going to move on to partner number three. Okay. And I don't have much info on him, but John Chillingworth. Ka- uh, Catherine met John Chillingworth in 1990. And Shout out. <laughs> Holla. Year, year we were born. John previously worked at the abattoir with Catherine, okay. and she shortly became pregnant by John. 
and gave birth to a boy named Eric. So four. So number four. John and Catherine's relationship only lasted three years before she left him for a man she was having an affair with. That man's name was John Price. What is it with her? So she's got two Davids and two Johns, but she like slit the the throat of a puppy with David's honors, saying, this is what I'll do to you if you ever had an affair, but But now she's having an affair. But then she had the nerve to have an affair on John. Yeah, John John, number one. John one. Okay. So John Price had three children. this is John number two. Yes. John Price had three children and was well-liked by everyone he knew. John's two older kids stayed with him while his younger stayed with his former wife. Okay. And despite Price being familiar with Catherine's outrageous behavior, she moved in with him in 1995, and John's children really liked her. In 1998, they ended up in a fight over John not wanting to marry her, which... Why was he even with her in the first place? She's nuts. Well, he yeah, he knew about her behavior. You just said he knew about her behavior. Like, why would you even do that to yourself? Yeah. So Catherine recorded a video of a first aid kit that she thought John stole from his job. What? Like, she was so vindictive. Hmm. And she brought the video to his supervisor. And he lost his job because of it. Oh, my God. Did he really steal it? I guess he did. No, it turned out that the first aid kit was expired. It was going to be thrown away. Oh. Yeah, so, like, I mean, that's his livelihood. That's how he supplies, I mean, supports his family. Right. And, and you, you, you want to potentially, fam- yeah. You want to be a, in his family, so you're going to get in those. Yeah, it, she just not didn't. Smart. She's ruthless. She doesn't care. Um, John kicked Catherine out of his house for three months, but he ended up taking her back in. Mm-hmm. And all of his friends kept telling him that she was bad news. Like, they even, like, distanced themselves and, like, cut him off. Like, wrote him off because they decided he didn't want to be, they didn't want to be associated with her. And Probably had to do that to some people. And then, like, once he took her back, they were fighting more often, and she became more violent. Jeez. In February of 2000, mm-hmm. um, they were, there were a number, number of assaults against John. Hmm. Those assaults ultimately reached a climax when Catherine stabbed him in the chest. In the chest? Yeah. Like, to, I mean, probably much sooner than that, but, like, that should have been... Like Bobby. Right. (laughs) So, once again, John was fed up with her BS, Mm -hmm. and he kicked her out. And on the 29th of February, he went to the courthouse before work and took out a restraining order on her to protect him and his children. Good for him, but... It's just a piece of paper. I was about to say that. It's scary, because it is. Mm -hmm. After arriving at work, he warned his co-workers, um, stating that if he didn't show up for work, that something happened to him and that they should look at Catherine for it. Mm. Um, his co-workers voiced their concern, told him that he shouldn't go home, but he feared, like, for his children if mm-hmm. he didn't show up home, Catherine would They'll do go something. After his kids. Yes. Mm. And once he returned home, he discovered that Catherine sent his children off to a sleepover at a friend's house. Even though Catherine wasn't even there. Hmm. Whew. This is about to get crazy. Girl, it's been crazy since the minute you started talking. <laughs> so John hung out with his neighbors until about 11 p.m. And then he went to bed. Mm-hmm. Catherine later turned up at John's house while he was sleeping. She watched TV while John slept before taking a shower. Mm-hmm. She then woke him up. They had sex. And he fell asleep. Hmm. 
The next morning around 6 a.m., the neighbor became uneasy when Price's car was seen still in the driveway. Because mm-hmm. he, he's usually gone. He should have been at work. Yeah, I mean, and you know your, your yeah, neighbors. Yeah, like nosy routine. neighbors are good neighbors. Like, right. We always talk that in self-defense. Like, right. right. You like, want those neighbors. But. Right, like when I'm getting ready for work every morning, I hear my neighbor start his truck up at the same time every single morning. So, like, I, yeah. I don't even have to look at my clock and I know what time it is. Yeah. So, like, when I don't hear it, or if I go outside when I leave and his truck is still there, I'm kind of like, oh, I hope he's just off today. Yeah. So Price also didn't arrive at work, which mm-hmm. resulted in his employer sending a worker to his home to see what was up. Mm-hmm. Both John's neighbor and the coworker tried knocking on his bedroom window to try and wake him, mm-hmm. uh, and then they noticed blood on the front door, and that's when they notified police around 8 a.m. Like that. Outside of the front door? Yeah. Holy. Responding officers had to force entry into the home through the back door. And mm. when they walked through the archway, it had some kind of curtain hanging from it. And they made their way into the kitchen. What kind of curtain? When officers moved the curtain out of the way, it was kind of cold. And, like, one officer noticed blood on his arm. And he thought maybe he injured himself when he was making entry into the home. Mm-hmm. Um... But then they located a torso on the floor in the, like, kitchen dining area. Just, just, just a torso? And no head. Okay, continue. Um, I don't think extremities either. Um, he was located on the floor, and then the so-called curtain was his skin. Uh, ooh. I'm going to throw up. Oh my God. Authorities examined the kitchen. And they and walked through this and touched it with they, their yeah, bodies. They had no clue, yeah. Like, because you know, a curtain, you just push it out yeah. of the way with your own. Oh, God. Yes. Authorities examined the kitchen and they discovered other dismembered body parts. Look, tell your friend Victoria to get some help because she's the one who told you about this case. <laughs> yeah, she did. You heard that thing? <laughs> the officers checked the rest of the residence and found Catherine passed out in their bed in what appeared to be an attempted overdose from taking a large number of pills. Yeah. She was just passed out. From the evidence collected at the scene, it appeared that Catherine attacked John while he was sleeping and he tried to escape. You could see blood spatter on the light switch, down the hall, and as you went down the hall, you could see the blood getting lower and lower, closer to the floor on the wall, like he was, uh, like he was like falling. Was chasing him. And then... Um, John made it to the front door, as officers could tell by the blood found on the screen door to the front house, Mm. the front of the house. And John was stabbed 37 times by Catherine. Oh my God, like the force behind, like just... To the front and the back of his body. Like to keep doing it. Yeah. Once he was dead, Catherine dismembered his body. Specifically, she cut his gluteus maximus into five quote-unquote, steaks, and cooked them in the oven. So, like, his behind, his yeah, butt? Yes. She plated his remains with vegetables and even made name cards, two of them being his children. For, like, their family? Like, a oh place setting. Yeah. Yeah. Leaving the last plate out for the dog. This woman. 
Officers had a good bit of time to process the crime scene since Catherine was, you know, hospitalized from all the medication. Um, authorities were able to finally interview her five days after the gruesome murder. Oh, God. The interviews didn't get the officers, like, very far as, um, as far as admission goes. Like she didn't confess? Not off the bat. Catherine claims in an interview, quote, I don't remember anything, end quote. Catherine doesn't give away um, details about what happened, but she finally go, does accept that she killed John. So not necessarily an omission, more of an exception. Hmm. Like Ka- basically, like I must have done it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if it was me, if you said it was me. Right. Catherine blamed the killing on the severe ongoing domestic violence. She played the victim when she was the aggressor. Yeah, the domestic violence that you perpetrated. And John's not here to tell his side of the story. Of course not. That's That happens a lot. So, Let's just blame them. Mm-hmm. It was discovered that after Catherine killed John, she took his wallet, she left in her car and brought it back to her house, and she parked it in the backyard. So she had her own house, too? Yeah, oh, like okay. he wouldn't, he, yeah. So I don't know how she got around after she dropped her car off, but around 12.15 a.m., two 500 withdrawals were made from John's bank account, hmm. and the money was never found. They didn't find it on her. They don't know if she gave it to somebody. She buried it. Not like in her house or anything? I mean, like, it was midnight. Like, what are you, yeah. you know? Maybe she bought drugs with it. <sighs> maybe. All those pills she took. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Oh, maybe so. Maybe that's what she used to get the maybe. drugs. I don't know. So, Catherine, her trial. Mm-hmm. We're going to go on to her trial. Her, um, she entered a plea of not guilty in the murder of John Price on February 2nd, 2001. Oh, wow, so that anniversary hmm, just passed. Her trial was then scheduled for October 15, 2001. Okay. When the jury selection began, the judge gave the 60 potential jurors the option of being excused due to the graphic nature of the photographic evidence. Oh, wow. Five of them accepted, hmm. and then after the witness list was revealed, several more potential jurors excused themselves. Okay. I guess they knew. Maybe they knew something. Yeah. The jury was selected, and the trial was adjourned to the next day. Mm-hmm. That's the day Knight changed her plea to guilty, and the jury oh, wow. was dismissed. You're wasting all these people's time. She did it, so apparently she did it the night before the guilty plea, but the judge held out and oh. wanted to have her evaluated to overnight. Make sure she wasn't. So just yeah. to make sure she understood competent. the circumstances surrounding her guilty plea. And make sure she was, I guess, competent mm-hmm. to stand trial. So on October, I mean November eighth, two thousand one, Catherine was sentenced to life imprisonment, and her papers were marked, quote, never to be released, end quote, due to the severity of her crime, and her lack of remorse. Hmm. She is the first woman in Australian history to have that sentence imposed. Wow. So what happened to her kids? How old were her kids? Do you I know how old I they were? I, I mean, if I did the math, but I mean, probably. I mean, I, if I did the math, I could figure out. But, I mean, they're dead. She didn't have um, kids with the one she killed, so I'm sure they went to the, the fathers. Right. But um, So she murdered him February or March 1st? Right? Uh, the 29th, I think. It was leap day. Leap, leap year. In 2000. In June. Oh, so she murdered him that night, and the next morning is when they were looking for him. Yeah. In June of 2006, Knight filed for an appeal of sentence stating that her punishment was too harsh for the killing. Your punishment was not harsh enough. Right. I mean, I guess Australia doesn't have the death penalty. I'm not Do sure. You know? I don't I didn't. 
another because if there was ever a death penalty case this is it yeah and her appeal was dismissed in September of that year yep as it should have been that I'm completely speechless at this. And the the judge, um, on a like a documentary that I watch, the judge said he couldn't eat meat for three months after. Uh, yeah, especially after seeing, because I mean they had to photograph all of that, mm-hmm. and he had to look at the case file. Yeah, I mean, d- did she like do? Don't they don't know. Ask. They don't know if she ate. That's literally what I was him. Um, but mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we stand. Yeah. Hmm. So we're recording at a library, and a guy who works here just looked at us and, like, through the glass and judgingly. I'm pretty sure he's judging us because they could probably hear what we're talking about. It's fine. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, it's fine. This is a really... <sighs> that was a rough one. I know. And there was so much more I could have included, but I was like, if I get down this rabbit hole, it's going to be a three-hour episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can understand how... It yeah. could be a whole, like, season. They call her, like, the female Hannibal, uh, the worst yeah. woman in Australia. Right. So, so, like you said, they're not sure she actually consumed it or not? Right. I guess because, like, all of the drug. I mean, yeah. I know. Um, the one that was left out for the dog, I read that one place it was on a plate for the dog, and the other was thrown out into the yard. They don't know if, like, they oh, if they threw it to the dog or if, like, she tried to eat it and it was in it unedible or whatever or she mm-hmm. couldn't eat it so she mm-hmm. just threw it or if the dog drug it out yeah oh god oh okay well yeah sorry guys i told you it was extreme yeah no joke you Ugh. can thank your girl victoria b from new orleans right <laughs> thanks victoria she's also going to be our merch girl so oh, she's yeah. hooking up our merch cool, cool. when we get that going yeah so all right well oh lord i need to go say some prayers or something yep That's the case of the infamous killer, Catherine Knight. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter, at HomegirlsPod. If you would like to suggest an episode, use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomegirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions.